I've um, my one of my favorite um, chapters in the Bible is Romans chapter eight, and I've got a whole series that uh, I've put together on Romans chapter eight. And so, um, as you guessed it, I'm going to talk to you about Romans chapter eight today. As a matter of fact, every time I've been up here for the last three times previous to the to this, I spoke to you about Romans chapter 8. There's so much packed in Romans chapter 8 that I just can't cover it in one time up here, so we're going to talk about it again today. But I need to start with a word of prayer. I just invite you to bow your heads. Father in heaven, we call down the power from you, Lord, for you are all-powerful. I'm thankful, Lord, here this morning that you have found each one of us and you've interacted in our lives, you've changed our lives. And because of you, we are different people. So we come to you this morning recognizing the power of your love in our lives. We acknowledge you as our sovereign king and we invite you to come into our worship right now. In Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting, I do some reading, and I see a quote that kind of hits my, my fancy, and I, I'll put it into a PowerPoint, and so I have one, one quote I picked out for this particular uh, presentation. It comes from a gentleman by the name of Harvey Mackey, and he said, optimists are right, so are pessimists. It's up to you to choose which you will be. In the Bible, if you have them in front of you, can I shift you to using your own Bible? Maybe you're not used to doing that so much. But there's a text there I want you to join me in, found in the book of John, chapter 14. And we're just going to, I'll put all my texts up here on the screen, but this particular one I just want you to turn to in your Bible. It's John chapter 14. It's a very popular text. Most people know this one. It's John chapter 14, verse 27. John chapter 14, verse 27, and I'm reading from my Bible. It's the New King James, and it reads, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. People, I think we're living in an age when people all around the globe are looking for peace. They want peace from war. They want peace from the climate change. They want peace from all the chaos they hear and all the media today that they're throwing at us, they're bombarding us with. They want peace. But Jesus said, I'm going to leave you with a peace that the world can't give to you. That's what that verse is saying. For many years, there's been multiple studies linking health and optimism. By the way, have any of you husbands ever been told by your wife you're a pessimist? My word, am I the only husband in here that somebody said that to? (laughs) Okay, there's a few of them that are surfacing now. My wife says, you're such a pessimist. And it takes me about three days to figure out what that means. And then I figure out, yeah, she's right. I'm a pessimist. But there have been multiple studies linking health and optimism. 
And one of the best ones that ever came about started in 1942 at, the, at Harvard University. They um, took 268 young men and they interviewed them to see which ones were pessimists or optimists. That study has continued down to this day because every year after... The, uh, 1942 when they started it to uh, 1944 there at the university during the war when World War II was going on. They've checked with these men, as many as possible that are still alive, down to this day to see what kind of health issues they might have. And they found something very interesting. Overall, those men who were classified as optimists at an age of 25 were healthier, and they lived longer. So my wife will never see me be a pessimist anymore. In other words, optimism early in life is associated with good health. The University of Michigan ran a similar study in the workplace, and the researchers found that the more optimistic people were, the fewer sick days they reported. Even cancer patients, even cancer patients have been shown to live longer and go into remission more often and for longer periods if they have a more optimistic view of their circumstances in the future. So, we've been studying Romans 8. Uh, it's been over a year and a half in process. But the last three times I was up here, I spoke about Romans 8. I'm talking about Romans 8 again. It is important for us to allow the Holy Spirit to transform our thinking. I'm going to throw that out there at you right off the bat. I want to invite you to reflect with me on the meaning of verses 15 through 30. Now, we're not going to cover all those. I'm going to put all the scriptures we're going to cover up here on the screen. But I just want to put one comment up there. Found in the Great Controversy, page 593, that little lady wrote so many years ago. None but those who have fortified the mind with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. I thought that was a rather interesting statement. None of them. Can I be frank with you? You and I are in a spiritual battle. There's no way you can get around it. Friends, you're facing it every time you climb out of bed in the morning. You're in a spiritual battle. So let's look at Romans 8, 15 to 30. In fact, we'll take a quick tour at just, just through key verses. Otherwise, I don't have enough time to go through all of them. But let's look at uh, verses eight, uh, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So here we have the Holy Spirit. And by the way, Romans 8 is focused on the Holy Spirit. You and I need that Holy Spirit in our lives. And I'll tell you what, we have such a merciful, great God that he's willing to give us the Holy Spirit. How comforting to know that in the grand scheme of things that God is our Father and that we are His children, no matter what we go through. Romans 8, 18. 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In other words, what he's saying, he says, I don't care what you're going through. It may be the worst day of your life. But it's nothing compared to the glory of what God has in store for us. Now, I might sound like a pulpiteer, but you know what? I'm excited about this. It's good news. As a matter of fact, I'm sure that if I had bad news and that's all I had was bad news, you would send me out the door and I would be pessimistic. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. It reminds me, I, I like the text. I'm going to shift out of Romans 8. Let's go to a text in 2 Corinthians 5, 5. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. I, I like that. You know, when you go in and buy a new wash machine or you, you, you buy a new car, they always have this guarantee with it. But the good news about God's guarantee, it lasts forever. I remember when I got my new glasses down at Shopco and I worked underneath this home. I was doing some remodeling for my granddaughter and they had some fiberglass I was working with. And guess what I did with my new glasses? I scratched them all up. You know how that works, don't you, Tom? Yeah. So I went back down to Shopco. And they said, I'm sorry, we don't cover that. Little did I know at that time, in two weeks, they were going to announce they were closing. But God is always going to guarantee the Holy Spirit because he's in love with you people. Did you know that? God's in love with you. All of this is excellent for Christian optimism. We know who we are. You're a child of God. That's good news. We know where we are going. You and I are headed to heaven. And friends, not only that, we're not alone in our struggle because we are guaranteed the Holy Spirit. final section in this passage of the big picture optimism begins with Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28, and we know. I, I like this. Paul says we know, and we know that all things, how many things? Uh, that It says all. I don't know what's going on in your life. I know what's going on in my life most of the time, but I know that all, all things, friends, work together for good to those who love God so to those who are called according to his purpose. Wait a minute. What's God's purpose? I think that's very important for us to know because this often quoted verse tells us that everything works out according to God's purpose. Let me just say this right up front. God's purpose is to save the world because that's what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him might be saved. Might be saved. So God's purpose is to save the whole world. But what's my purpose? It is your purpose to choose God so that he can save you. 
Nobody can make that choice for you. Nobody can do that. Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, a lot of people say, well, we're dealing with predestination here. That's not it at all. God, how many in here believe that God foreknew you before you were even born? Did he not do that? Can he do that? Yes, he can. So, he wanted us to be conformed to the image of his son. I don't know about you, but how fortunate we are. And I, I pray, I think every one of you feels this way. I pray that you are just feeling so fortunate that God sent his son so that we could see what he is like. In short, friends, God wants to transform us into a likeness with his son. That's what he wants to do. So how does God accomplish his purpose in our lives? He calls people to himself individually by name. And he calls people by their name. Somebody, something told me, I read it somewhere, maybe you can help me out here, that he has your name written on the palm of his hand. How many, how many names do you think he's got on the palm of his hand? Does he have your name on the palm of his hand? How about the rest of you? Do you think God's got your name written on the palm of his hands? You know? I used to think God's palm, oh, he must be so big. But, you know, if, he, if he's all-powerful, he can write really small. He's got it, our names written on the palm of his hands. He also glorifies us. That's what he's going to do. He's going to set us right. He's going to glorify us by, by going all the way with his healing work of transformation in our lives from our glory to God's glory. How beautiful, how loving, and how glorious God's plan really is for us. Here's another quote for you. And I'll tell you what. Are all of you Seventh-day Adventists in here? I can say anything I want then, right? What God impresses me to say. There you go. God glorifies us. He wants to share his glory in our lives. But here's this quote. Signs of the Times, January 20th, 1890. The only way in which Christ could set and keep men right was to make himself visible and familiar to their eyes. Christ exalted the character of God, attributing to him the praise and giving to him the credit of the whole purpose of his mission on earth was to, to set men right through the revelation of God, his Father. And I want to tell you something. There's so much optimism in God's word. So much optimism in God's word. I mean, you can look at all the emails that come to your files and all the phone calls that come and all the media, social media out there, but there is no better news than God loving you. 
There is not one reason there should be one pessimistic person in this sanctuary this morning. Not one reason. You think I'm being hard on you, don't you? I'll, okay, I'll back it off. Back it off. What that means is that in Christ we see a forgiving God who reconciles us back to himself. He's continually inviting us to a relationship with him. In Christ we see a gracious God who restores us. In Christ we see a powerful and yet gentle God who seeks to heal the damage that sin has caused in your life. It brings to my mind 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as the Spirit of the Lord, just by the Spirit of the Lord. We must be like Moses. When he came down off the mountain, his face was so bright that they had to put a veil over him. Do you know that just before Jesus comes, that his people are going to have such shining faces, the sinners won't even be able to look at you? Did you know that? Maybe that's why my wife doesn't look at me very often. I have such a shining face. Such an example. I got news for her. It is Jesus. Not me. Not you. It is Jesus in our lives. We have such a wonderful God that he transforms us to be like him. I mean, this is good news. There shouldn't be a pessimist in this place. Moses beheld the glory of the Lord and was transformed into God's image. But we should not hide that glory. As a matter of fact, let us fully reflect God's glory. That's how the Spirit works miracles of transformation in our lives. God invites us to a relationship with Him. Our great God wants to carry us into the kingdom. He said, I'll get you there any way I can. Any way I can. God invites us into a relationship with him, and he doesn't does that by being gracious to us and forgiving. Another text, Romans 8:31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Here is what I believe God wants me to see. In this life, nothing really matters more than God's loving goodness towards us and his perspective, not my perspective. Somehow we need to constantly remind ourselves to see the big picture God's purpose, his plan, is the last word. Romans 8, 28 again. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. The key, is, the key part is to those who love God. The difference is not what happened around us necessarily, but what happens right here. 
That's the difference. All things work together for good to those who love God. Imperfect as we are, and no matter what happens to us, this is telling us that for Christians, God himself is present in our lives and is working for good at all times. Isn't that amazing? What a wonderful perspective. Isn't it incredible that somehow every detail of our lives for God is somehow worked by him into a loving, beautiful tapestry? Somehow in our lives, we must link all of our nitty-gritty experiences to God's great plan. We need to pray that we would see everything from God's perspective. We need to ask ourselves, what is God wanting to teach us? How can we have a closer relationship with him? If we could just see everything from God's view, we would realize that God is miraculously capable of using everything in our lives, even the bad elements, to transform us into the image of his son. And that would make a huge difference in our day-to-day life. To change the metaphor, God is the master painter. And we have an incredible advantage since God has told us what the finished product is going to look like. But only God knows how to take the dark and ugly colors of our life and combine them with the beautiful, striking, rich colors and produce an innovative and creative, beautiful portrait. I believe it is important to remember that God never designs evil and bad to happen to us. But he can use those experiences to weave his lines of mercy, kindness, and goodness in our lives. Not everything, of course, that happens to us seems as or feels wonderful. That's not the point. But it can all fit into God's plan. That's important because often we pray for God to release us from whatever bad experiences we find ourselves. Have you ever prayed for God to take you out of something? Romans 8 is telling us that God wants instead to draw us to himself. That's what his purpose is. God wants us to be like his son. That is the purpose for which he has called us. That is the purpose that gives meaning to life. Have you ever noticed that the great American dream isn't such a great dream after all? But we, we drill that into our mindset and we actually teach our children, our young people that are growing up, they need to do this and that to make things work in the world. And so we come up with all these American dreams. Somebody has this dream, somebody has that dream. Obviously, their house is different than mine and so forth. But you know what? It's the great American dream. But I'll tell you what, the great American dream is falling apart. We don't seem to be better off with the great American dream. In that idealistic, humanistic dream, there is no room for suffering. There's no room for pain. There's no room for illness. And so when bad happens, we often feel like crying out to God, why is this happening to me? This was not supposed to happen. God, get me out of this. But really, it's our agenda that needs to change, not God. 
I'm going to share with you in a few minutes the story of Milana Hunt Monroe. In her struggle with cancer and living through aggressive chemotherapy and radiation treatments, began to experience a closeness with God that she had never had before. She began to regard the treatments as her time to focus on God's glory, on his faith, on his hope, and trust in him. Her walk with God became so close and intimate that on the last days of her treatment, she prayed this, God, don't leave me. I still want to have the closeness with you that I've had during these treatments. Her agenda had changed to that of becoming close to God and trusting him to work out his purpose in her life. She had a major perspective change. The bottom line, there are two things that you and I need to remember. What does God want me to learn from this trial? We don't want our lives to change. We don't want to be inconvenienced. We don't want to experience disruptions. But Lord, what do you want me to learn? This is not about me. A loving God is always concerned about you and me. Secondly, God intends for us to be filled with his goodness and to remember that his goodness and his purpose towards us is always loving. Can I show you a picture that breaks my heart every time I see it? This is one of 10 or two of 10 great-grandchildren. We have two more on the way this new year. We had four that were born to us last year in 2019. On the left there is Everly Grace, and our, on the right is Brinley. Brinley happens to be two years old in this, and Everly is four months younger. We had the opportunity as grandparents, great-grandparents, to take care of our little kids because all of our children know we're retired and that we have time to do that. So we end up taking care of these little girls. My wife had found uh, a little teddy bear. I don't know whether she found it at a garage sale or where it came from. Had a little button on it right on the hand of that little teddy bear. And those little girls figured this out, and so they started pushing that little button, and a, and a song came up. This is the song. I love you, I love you, you make the world so bright, morning, noon, and night. So those little girls picked up on this. Pretty soon, they figured out that they wanted to punch that all the time, and so they were constantly running up to it, and one of the little girls may be in another room and they're, she, they start, this one starts singing the song, I love you, I love you, you make the world so pretty soon. The other one in the other room starts picking up the song, and they start singing together, I love you, I love you, and it's going on and on. Pretty soon, Grandma and Grandpa are singing the song, and so they, they just love pushing that button because we had a four-people uh, choir there. I, I mean, look at here. People, it's easy to learn. Let's sing it. I love you. I love you. You make the world so bright. Morning, noon, and night. Whoa, I like that. And, and that just it, it hit my wife and I right here. We have such a great God. We, we love him so much. And those little girls come around, and they just wanted to do, the first thing they wanted to do, run in there and hit that button. May I suggest to you that's really what God wants us to do every single morning. 
every single minute of the day. Those little girls taught us a lesson. Lesson. I'm going to take you a little bit further here. In the book called From Heaven's View, author Milana Moreau describes her experience with cancer and how she learned to view suffering from God's view. In January of 1999, tests revealed that Milana had extremely aggressive cancer in one of her breasts. And so after a medical plan was formulated, she underwent three months of chemotherapy to try and shrink and control the large mass. Her greatest sorrow at that point became losing her hair. The baldness felt obscene to her. It was a nakedness that left her feeling stripped of any femininity, and it made her feel unworthy of her husband's love. After the chemotherapy was completed, her first mastectomy was scheduled. It was in recovery from that operation that she learned her first lesson in love from heaven's view. She was struggling to recover from the anesthesia, and her husband Steve helped bring her to consciousness by holding her hands and telling her how much he loved her. He never left her and became her nurse through the first hard week, emptying drain tubes, sometimes doing a little bit of charting information for the doctors, feeding her, holding her as she began to try and move or get up and walk. The doctors told them not to remove the bandages for several days, for several days after leaving the hospital. And she dreaded the time, of course, when the bandages would come off and she would have have to look at the scar. She knew in the back of her mind that somehow God would work a greater glory in their lives, but what absorbed her attention was the loss for her husband and how incredibly ugly she felt. The afternoon came. When their children were not at home, she and her husband, Steve, both knew the time had come to remove the bandages. As they went into the bathroom, she knew she could not go through with it. She collapsed in total grief that was so intense that she could not even cry, and breathing was almost impossible for her. She felt so ugly as a woman could be. No hair, no eyebrows, no eyelashes. Her lips and her eyes were swollen with grief. She felt physically worthless. She was helplessly weak. But in the next moment, in that next moment, God revealed his love for her as she had never understood it before. Her husband put his arms around his wife, holding her, and he whispered, Milana, I love you because that is who I am. And in that moment, her universe changed. She saw in her husband a living picture of Jesus, the bridegroom of the church who loves us. Christ's personal identity is the one who loves us. Did you hear what I said, man? We don't have to be macho. God loves us. He loves everyone. Milana went through five more months of chemotherapy, another mastectomy, and six more weeks of radiation. 
And instead of losing their marriage, as she had feared, God gave them the same kind of love that Christ has for his church. They now feel that God used this trial to bring out the best in their lives. Their perspective is that God is continually working out all things for their good, for his loving purpose. Can you now sense the importance of what the apostle is telling us in Romans 8 of having this wonderful, big picture? Friends, nothing and absolutely nothing is more important than having this view of God's loving purpose towards you. Nothing. And absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love for us. Because in Jesus, God holds us close and says, I love you because that is who I am. God is love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the wonderful love that Jesus gave to us when he came down, came down to this earth, came down off the cross, was buried in the ground, and he rose again so that we might have the guarantee of a resurrection. We might have the guarantee of a future. We might live in heaven with our God. And he reigns forever and ever and ever. We want to go home with you, Father. Please, even so, Lord.